Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we had to get a podcast in this week, right? Because this was a big week. The Giants finally made the move and moved on from Eli Manning, at least as a starting quarterback. They went to Daniel Jones after two weeks of the season. I'll have to say, I'm a little surprised by this. I didn't think they'd pull the trigger on it. Now, I will give the gettleman Shermer regime credit for this, right? They have been quick to pull the plug on stuff and make moves, which is a good thing. You don't want to keep rolling back a mistake. But with this situation, with Eli Manning, we know, okay, I've, if you're listen to if you listen to this podcast if you follow me you know by now i'm a big believer 2 years ago after 3 and 13 should have been a rebuild so obvious anybody with their eyes open should have noticed that that was a team that needed to rebuild and you don't rebuild with a 37 year old quarterback as your starter forget for a second if Eli Manning is the best or worst quarterback in the league it just doesn't make sense and where he's at in his career, it made no sense for the Giants to go in that direction. And they did. Fine. Then they rolled it back again this year. So in this situation, I the Giants had trouble pulling the trigger on it, right? Eli Manning, to the organization and to ownership, and for good reason, has sentimental value to them. He's not just another quarterback or just another player you're moving on from. He's a guy who's represented the organization extremely well, perfectly almost, almost, over the last 16 seasons. He's won two Super Bowls, performed on the field, on the biggest stages. Eli Manning was a great Giants quarterback. Probably the best quarterback they've ever had. In the history of the franchise. I think so. Most people think so. There's a few people who probably don't. Maybe like Phil Simms better. Or like Y.A. Tittle or, or something like that. But for the most part, people believe Eli Manning. I believe Eli Manning is the greatest quarterback in Giants franchise history. But he's not the greatest quarterback anymore. And it just made no sense to keep rolling him back. He wasn't great early this year. Also wasn't very good. Somewhere in between. Now, we know the offense hasn't been the biggest problem. They're 0-2. They lost to the Bills this past Sunday. Right? And the defense is awful this so far. It's been awful the first two weeks. They would have had to win ridiculous shootouts in order to have any chance of hanging in a game. They would need to score 30, 30 points. Okay? But... The reality is they are allowed to score points, and they haven't scored points. And their offensive line actually has been better. Now, their weapons this past week were limited, didn't help. But, look, it was time to move on. The Giants, when they get into third and long, they're, they're 0, and 0 for 12 this year if they have a third and seven or longer. So, basically, if they have a third down and it's not third and two or three, they have no chance of converting it. You can't play like that in the NFL. You got to push the ball down the field, make plays. Eli is capable of being a passenger right now, not a conductor. Now, we'll get into his legendary career in full on some other episode. 
Right now we're talking about the actual decision. And now you have Daniel Jones, right? You have Daniel Jones, the number six overall pick, Danny Dimes. And I don't care what you say. I like the name Danny Dimes. I know some of you don't. I think most of you do. But it's a good nickname, if you ask me. Danny Dimes. It's got a nice ring to it, right? Let's go Danny Dimes. I mean, you can do so many things with Danny Dimes. So many cool headlines. So many, just just the way you could say it. Yo, Danny Dimes. Yo, give me some dimes. Oh, yeah, dimes. All right, this is terrible, but look. The reason the Giants had to make this move is because it now gives them a chance to look and start preparing for real fully like they should for the future because nobody out there, nobody listening to this, nobody around the league should have thought that this team was a team that was going to come into the season and be a real contender. If that's you, if you fall into that category, I mean, I need to sell you stuff, okay? You should have, nobody should have ever had that expectation. Ridiculous. You're going to get rid of all pro, pro bowl players on offense and defense and replace them with rookies and crapshoots and guys you hope turn into really good players and think that this team is going to be significantly better than they were last year at 5-11? and 11? Sorry. Just don't see it. Just never saw it. Right? I thought maybe they could be decent, but... To think that this is a real contender wasn't realistic. And that's why it's Daniel Jones' time. We're going to see this guy play now. And I, so far, he's checked every box. Every box along the way since he was drafted sixth overall. Every box. Strong spring. Check. Strong summer. Check. Strong preseason. Check. 85%. I don't care where he's playing. If it's professional football and you're completing 85% of your throws, that is impressive. I don't care if it's with the second-team offense against backup defenses. I don't care who it's against. 85% in the NFL or in any football, professional football league, is really good. So he checked that box as well. Now, will the regular season be different? Of course. And it's important to separate this because some people are like, well, that's not going to solve their problem. They're not going to win the games this year. That's not the point. The point isn't for for the New York Giants. Oh, they're going to. Turn it around and make a playoff run and win the Super Bowl this year. No. That's not what Daniel Jones is going to bring. He brings hope for the future. He's going to bring hope that he can learn this year. Take this experience. Build on it. Week by week by week. Get better every week. And then next year, you're going to be going into next year saying, Ooh, I saw some things from Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes, that make me believe that he can be. An upper echelon quarterback. It's not going to be that hard. All he's got to do is flash a little bit. And then you'll have that hope. And the Giants will have that hope. Just a little bit. Remember, Eric Flowers. Rookie year. After that rookie year, everyone's like, oh, yeah. He looked pretty good, even though he rated out as the bottom near the bottom of tackles. It didn't matter. He flashed some toughness. 
He played through injuries. People are like, yeah, yeah, he'll be fine. He's going to grow. Uh, you know, they saw just enough to, to give them that hope. And that's what you're looking for from Daniel Jones. Obviously, you're looking at several levels past that. You're hoping you could see right away, Baker Mayfield style. I don't know if that's realistic either because he had a record-breaking rookie year. But you just want to see a little bit of that. Flashes of what Baker Mayfield did last year. And then going forward, you could be like, okay, now we have confidence. We're headed in the right direction. We have that quarterback, the most important position on the team. A guy who could throw the ball downfield consistently. Who's not going to accept the checkdowns. Because, and I know I, you, you, there's certain people out there, they'll defend Eli to death. And Eli Manning at one point was an upper echelon quarterback in the postseason in, in good spots. He was a great quarterback. The best in the league in the postseason for those two playoff runs for sure. But the reality is, at this point of his career, he's a low-end starter at best. Okay? He's limited. He doesn't push the ball down the field. And that's what I think the biggest difference you could expect in Tampa Bay this week is 9.4 air yards per attempt for Daniel Jones in the preseason. Now, air yards per attempt, when I say that, it means the amount of yards each pass on average travels from when he throws it to wherever the receiver is. Eli Manning, 7.6 yards, air yards per attempt in the first two games this year. 7.2 yards, right? And this is the same offense. They're playing in the same offense, running the same plays. But one guy is a little bit more willing to throw the ball down the field. Now, the flip side of that, and he's a rookie, and you should expect this, is there's going to be mistakes. He's going to have his struggles. Eli Manning, as a rookie, once got pulled from a game against the Baltimore Ravens. He threw for less than 50 yards. And he was fine. Because if you're a great quarterback, which Eli Manning turned out to be, you're able to handle those failures, learn from them, build off them, bounce back. And that's what we're going to find out from Daniel Jones. Can he do that? Can he handle the pressure, the live bullets, the the speed of the game in the regular season? Because this is going to be different than anything he's seen so far. Can he handle that? Can he bounce back when he has a bad game? Because inevitably, he's going to have a bad game. It could be this week. I had some people in the league tell me, people that work for other teams throughout the league, somebody who used to work in the league, you know, I talk to these people on the side all the time. A couple of them mentioned to me, they're surprised that they're doing it this week because this is a pretty good Bucks defense, and they really respect Todd Bowles, the former Jets coach, who's now the Bucks defensive coordinator, and the defense that he runs. They think he's a really good defensive coordinator. So the fact that the Giants are doing this against a defense on the road run by Todd Bowles could be problematic. But that's fine. That's part of the learning curve. And at least there's excitement. I've honestly, I felt like this for about the last year and a half. I felt like we were stuck in Groundhog's Day. And I assume a lot of Giants fans felt that too. You were stuck in the same thing over and over again. You're going back to the Eli Manning well when your organization is not in real position to compete. They misjudged it again this year. Again. They're paying $17 million to Eli Manning for two games. Let me tell you, when you watch the game, 
this week, next week, last week, and you realize they're not good enough. You want to know why they're not good enough? Because right now, the Giants have almost just about $40 million in dead money. Plus, you have another $23 million against the cap, which is Eli Manning when he counted against the salary cap this year, sitting on the bench not contributing. That's $60-plus million not giving you anything. Nothing. $60-plus million against the cap. That's more than a third of your salary cap giving you Zippo. Zip. Zilch. Zero. Think about that for a second. That's a big reason why the Giants product this year is not overall going to be good. And you can't think it should be otherwise with the roster that they have right now. And I don't want to hear people blaming James Besher all for all this stuff. Look at the players he's putting out on that defense. Dave Gettleman put together that defense. Where they're supposed to be better. Oh, we gave him young talent. We gave him some of his guys. They didn't give him any of his real guys. They didn't give him any of his star players from Arizona. They gave him two first rounders. One place cornerback, which is almost as hard to play as a rookie as quarterback. And the other is a nose tackle. What kind of major impact do you think those guys are going to have year one? And that's why we have a bad defense. Now, one other thing I want to mention here. This will be like the... Jordan on the beat segment here early in the show is that a special thanks has to go out to Brody Ronan, okay, from a personal level, my son, one month old, one month and one day old as I taped this on Thursday, right? But why am I thanking my son? Not for being a month old, but because he came a month early because his due date was this Wednesday. I would have been off the table on Tuesday when they benched Eli and went to Daniel Jones. I would have been unavailable on Wednesday. And you know what? That would have been problematic for work. I would have been nuts. I would have been trying to contribute, finding out what I could behind the scenes, passing it along. It would have been hectic. So, Brody Ronan, you're looking out for the team. He, he was, This guy, this guy, he's looking out for the team before from day one on this earth. He's looking out for me, and I appreciate that. He's taking one for the team, making sure, A, I didn't miss any regular season action, was around for the Eli Manning benching, which was a big moment in this Giants season, maybe the biggest news moment in this Giants season, and I have nobody to thank but my own son. Thank you, Brody. On to the next one. Okay, now that it's official, Eli Manning was benched. Daniel Jones is in. We could put this down on Dave Gettleman's list of failed ideas, okay? Giants general manager has quite a list so far, I must say. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna what I'm going to do here, we're going to do in this segment, and this is going to be a tough one because there's a lot to choose from. We're going to talk about his worst moves, Dave Gettleman's worst five moves. And I got, a, I got more than five on this list. Now, Let's set some ground rules to start here, okay? What you can't do is we're not going to include any draft stuff because we're here sitting here in year two. It's really hard to judge, like, how good a pick, let's say, you know, Will Hernandez is or, you know, even Sam Beal, you know, third-round supplemental pick last year who has yet to play a single snap, okay? 
the jury's still out on some of these things. And I really don't want to also get into the Saquon versus quarterback debate again. So what we're going to do is we're going to eliminate all draft all draft picks. Okay, we'll only consider his worst moves being pro personnel moves, which are signings or trades or um, any other acquisitions they make or just decisions to maybe move players around, which, you know, Eric Flowers, they tried him at right tackle, uh, which was just ridiculous on its own right. So here's what's at the top of my list right now. Then we'll, then we'll put them in order, okay? The OBJ trade, which is probably going to come in at number one on my list, the fact that you can't make it work out with Odell Beckham Jr., who for all the problems and uh, annoyances that come with him, the, the attention that he he likes to see, seems to want to seek is just not a bad guy, eh? Liked in the locker room and an absolute star, stud, ridiculously good player. Okay? So to me, that's probably going to be at the top of the list just because I can't get rid of a guy that's that good who's not completely sabotaging your team. You know, all his teammates loved him. So I refused to accept that he was sabotaging this team. They got back Jabril Peppers, who we're learning real quick, is not even close to Landon Collins, not even in that stratosphere. Uh, this number 17 pick, which they used on Dexter Lawrence, who's looks like right now at least he's a, a, a two-down defense alignment. Might be a pretty good player, but I have trouble believing that that's going to be a turn into a star. And... Wasn't there another one? Am I, I'm forgetting the third part. Of, oh, third round pick of Shane Zimenez. Jury to be determined. So, but that qualifies as a possibility because Odell was traded. That's a pro personnel move. Even though we, we can't fully judge the return, I'm saying that the point of trading him one year, this is the real kicker, right? One year after they signed him is just such bad business. And so dumb that I can't even wrap my head around it. Such a bad move. Bad business. And that's why the Eli decision here comes into And I don't care who you are. There's no way you can sit here at this point. Even those who yelled at me for two years now. And tell me that the right move wasn't to get rid of Eli two years ago. They have since, after benching him, after Ben McAdoo started the process, and benched Eli against the Oakland Raiders during a disastrous 3-13 and season, right? They've gone 6-16. and 6-16. Sixteen. Six and 16. How could anybody think that it was a good move to roll it back with Eli Manning last year? Right? They weren't good enough around him. He wasn't good enough to carry them. And then guess what? Gettleman's going to sit up there and tell us it's a crock that people don't think he can still play and that he's overpaid. Roll it back again this year. Again! Roll it back again this year. And after two games, have to admit that it was a mistake and have to pay him another $10 million this year, $17 million in real money this year, and $23.2 million against the cap. God. Bad decision. That's probably going to come in number two. And then number three, I mean, I'm basically doing a mortar. Number three, this is those were definitely the top two. Odell one, rolling back Eli two. This is an underrated one. I don't think people really fully understand how bad this move is and has been. 
Alec Ogletree trade. So this is my number three. Alec Ogletree, I know he had five interceptions last year, and he's their starting middle linebacker. But honestly, I don't think if they started B.J. Goodson, it would be much different than Alec Ogletree. Now, they traded assets. I believe it was a fourth and a sixth-round pick, if I remember correctly. Got something back in return, also a late pick. But the kicker to this, again, Alec Ogletree is getting compensated as one of the top middle inside linebackers in football. He is not one of the better, best inside middle linebackers in football. Not even close. He's a serviceable starter at best, so the Giants are paying him $10, $10 million or more, I believe, even this year. So they're paying him in the $10 million range, paying him as a, a stud linebacker, and while he's a captain and a good guy and a leader in the locker room, it is not good value. And so that was just an awful move. I mean, he is not a difference maker. The Rams probably couldn't wait to get rid of him. Yay, take him, Dave, Dave, here you go. Oh, you're going to give us something for him? We just wanted to get this off our books. We were dying to get this contract off our books. You're going to give us assets for it too? Sure. Send them over here. All right? All right. Now, here's where it starts to get complicated. Because there's a lot of secondary, you know, low-key bad moves to choose from. Signing of Jonathan Stewart. Rolling back Eric Flowers putting him at a position he's never played right tackle and handing him the starting job the day he came back from basically not showing up to your offseason workout because he was pissed that you moved him from left tackle. Oh, God. Can't make this stuff up. Can't make it up. Then having to cut him after two weeks or pull him from the starting lineup and eventually cut him. Patrick Omame, another one, signed him to a decent contract to play guard, starting guard. That didn't last half the season. Golden Tate signing him. I'm going to say that's a bad move by Gettleman. The guy just got suspended. They sit here and preach culture. Culture. As they trade Odell, then go pay big money, way more money than anyone else in the league offered Golden Tate. Signed him. He gets suspended. Okay? So he hurts the team at the beginning of this year. Now this season's basically over before he ever comes back. And he's going to count $10 million next year. I mean, Odell was counting $18 million against the cap for the $8 million difference or whatever it is. I'd sure rather have Odell Beckham than a, a, what, a 31 or 32-year-old Golden Tate at that point. So I'm not going to be thrilled about that move. Nate Solder, his signing, decent player, a lot of money. I considered that. Landon Collins, look, I understand you just did not re-signing him. That would cost a lot of money. Personally, I would have franchised him. But to me, the real kicker out of this is... If you weren't going to bring him back, you should have made that decision earlier and known at the trade deadline last year to make that move. So that's actually going to come come in number four to me is the way they handle Landon Collins. Not necessarily not re-signing him because I get that. I personally still think franchising would have been fine. But regardless, if just the whole handling it, if you're not going to get – Back that you could have got an asset back from him last year. You could have got an asset. Look, the Green Bay Packers traded Haha Clinton Dix. I believe they got a third round pick back. Okay. Go look at what Haha Clinton Dix and Landon Collins got on the open market. Look at the difference. Look at the difference. The league speaks. I don't have to tell you which one is better. The league spoke on which one has more value and which one is better. And the answer by a gazillion miles, was Landon Collins. 
So Gettleman butchered that one, Bailey. That's my number four. Uh, trading Eli Apple, I don't think anyone cared about, but Snacks, getting little in return. I know they didn't love Snacks. Cutting Romeo Aquara, right? And signing Kareem Martin instead, to me, just a terrible move. I mean, Aquara pretty much could have provided exactly what Kareem Martin did. And Kareem Martin got a pretty nice contract from the Giants that he wasn't probably going to get elsewhere. So that falls in there. Uh, my number five, I think I'm going to have to go at this point with, oh, man, it's a tough one. Stuart Flowers or Mame. I mean, that's really which one of those three is the worst. I'm going to go with Stuart just because we all knew he was so done. So done. He knew he was done. Just toast. His numbers have been going down. And, and that was his argument for drafting Saquon, right? And the whole age thing at running back. Oh, age, what a crock. Look at Jonathan Stewart. What? What? So just a lot of bad decisions on Dave Gettleman's resume since becoming general manager. And we're not even talking about the draft at all. So those are my five worst Dave Gettleman moves so far. Woo. Digest that for a minute. On to the next one. All right, what we're going to do here is we're going to learn a little bit more about Daniel Jones, a.k.a. Danny Dimes. Here goes. All right, John Holland, you're going to be the center, handing the ball to Daniel Jones. What do we what do we know about him? As a player, he's super serious. Maybe a little too too serious sometimes. Um, but so have you ever heard him yell? Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard him yell in the huddle. He takes control and command in the huddle. Um, as a person, he's a really goofy guy. Pretty, goofy. Yeah, he's pretty okay. funny. He's pretty funny. That was Jones's new center. Now let's check in with Alex Tanny. Who spends plenty of time in the quarterback room with Jones? You see as much as you get, I think. Yeah. You know? do, does he? Does he yell at people? Does he listen to the older guys? Yeah, he definitely listens. Uh, intently. Uh, yeah, for the most part. All right. How's this golf game? I heard he, he, he's, he's a golfer. I'd say when he when he makes solid contact, it goes along goes a long way. <laughs> oh, that's usually not a compliment when what? that's when that's your breakdown. By the way, I don't know about that. I mean, he's he's better than I am. So that's not saying much either. <laughs> How does he handle the pressure when you guys put him on in, under pressure in the quarterback room? Yeah, I mean he's he's done a, he's done a great job handling everything. You know, you put him on the board, or uh, you know, you're asking a question about protection or what we have in that week. And um, you know, ever since OTAs, he's he's you know he's known this stuff and uh, he's done a great job preparing and uh, you know, preparing himself to play. He's a lot younger than you two, the other two quarterbacks in that room. You guys. Pick on him a little bit. Uh, is it yeah. natural? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Eli is pretty savvy when it comes to things like that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he does a good job of, of giving him a hard time every once in a while. So you let Eli handle the pranks? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, I, I try and chime in every once in a while, but, you know, he's the kind of the prank master. So, Tell me something we may not know about Daniel Jones. Um... Oh, does he like video games? What is what is it like? Uh, what does he do? I mean, what, you know, Daniel Jones gets he, away from football. Does yeah. he have any interest in anything? I think he goes home and uh, and goes to bed and gets here early in the morning. And let's hear what Darius Slayton has to say about his fellow rookie, who he spent plenty of time working with in the spring and summer. Has he yelled at you yet? Nah. Does he ever yell? I don't think I've ever heard him yell. Is he quiet? 
How would you describe his personality? How about that? He's kind of, off the field. He's kind of a quiet guy, but um, I think once you start talking to him, he's got person. He's got personality. Yeah. More than you would think. He's kind of he's funny in his own way. What are his interests? What's his off the field interest? I know he golfs. Yeah. I don't really know too much else about that. I know he golfs. I don't think he's a video game guy. No. Nah. He's. Uh, can he play basketball? I heard he could play hoops. Have you ever heard or he, seen he, anything? I've seen no evidence. I told him I would need to see evidence, but he self-claims he can hoop a little bit, but, you know, maybe one day we'll find out. What was it like working with him in the spring? I mean, uh, does, is, is he – describe that personality of the way he goes about, you know, working with you, telling you, what, you know, what he needs you to do, what, you, what the back and forth is right there. Yeah, um, he's very understanding, I'll say that. I mean, if he – if one thing I really appreciate about him is that if he makes a mistake or if you know his throws a little off, he's very quick to you know accept the uh, not blame but be a self accountable. You know he's not you know he might throw a high ball and sh- obviously if it's in our range of you know catching we should catch it, but he'll at least acknowledge the fact you know hey I was a little high on that ball get it down next time you know and I think that's really important especially for quarterbacks and receivers because ultimately his job is to make me look good and my job is to make him look good so. Right there, that's what you have hope for, is that Daniel Jones is going to be the savior. If you're the Giants right now, if you're a Giants fan right now, that is really where the hope lies. If you ha- if you hit gold with Daniel Jones, right, and Daniel Jones can be that guy, and he's that guy playing next to Saquon Barkley, then okay, you got something here. Just got to build around it at that point. You'll have to do it kind of quickly, because there's not that much around him, but that's two gigantic building blocks. Now we just gotta wait and see. Gotta wait and see. We found a little bit about Daniel Jones there, but we'll find out about his uh, if he has soft skin soon enough, because everybody's gonna become very familiar with everything about Daniel Jones, and it's exciting. I'm excited. I'm excited to go to Tampa Bay this week and watch his first career start at what 4:15 or whatever, whatever the exact time is for something. 430. I'm excited. It's something new. It's something different. We're not going to be in the same vortex, stuck in that same vortex. I got Danny Dimes fever, baby. Danny Dimes fever. It's exciting. Come watch. Join the show. Let's do it. Now, doesn't mean I'm picking the Giants. I'm picking 26, 23, Bucks in a tight one. But I did have a bold prediction that he is going to throw for over 300 yards in his NFL debut. And you will leave this game as a Giant fan, as a fan of Danny Dimes, thinking, okay, I think we got something here. I think we might actually have something here. And that's the whole point of starting Daniel Jones right now. Starting him for the rest of the season. And not wasting any more time. And it says, no, it's not disrespectful to Eli Manning. Giants paid him $250 million more than any player in NFL history. Right? They they held on to him probably years longer than they should have. It's not disrespectful to Eli Manning. He's still getting paid $17 million for this season. But it was time to move on. It was time 
to go to Danny Dimes, to Daniel Jones, and see what he has for the betterment of the franchise. It's hard for you to even sit there and argue otherwise that this isn't the best thing for the franchise. I don't even know how you can at this point. I really don't. And I know what some people say is the argument is that, oh, it's not fair. You should you should have, shouldn't have cut it after two games with day with Eli. He got enough time the last few years. I mean, we kept stretching on, oh, it was his offensive line. It was this. It was that. It was this. It was that. That's why they're not, you know, dominant. He played with Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Odell Beckham Jr., and Sterling Shepard last year. And their offense wasn't good. It was enough. We needed to move on. Not personal. It's business. That's what they say, right? That's what this was. So 26, 23 bucks. That's what I got. Hope we covered everything here. We'll be back next week. We'll try and do a Giants After Dark sometime very soon. Feel free to hit me up with any questions, uh, anytime. Email, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, did I forget something? Instagram. And as always, you can catch this, this podcast on any the places you get your podcasts. You know, you know where to get them, okay? You don't need me to, to list those. And that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.